0: Okay, okay, I'll invite you uh, to stand to your feet this morning if you're able to. And uh, we're going to declare our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. If this is your first time uh, here with us this morning, we do this as a way of anchoring our faith and our life together as a community in the faith of the church. How many of you know uh, Christianity is old, and we didn't make it up, right? What we do is we receive this mystery, we live into it, and then we pass it on. And this is the best and the most compelling statement of the mystery that we know of. Let's say it together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with that, say it real loud. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. I got two things that I need to say uh, before I get started. Uh, number one, thank you for all of the prayers and the concern and the emails and the little notes that you sent. Uh, my way, if you were in the service last week, you heard Pastor Glenn and Pastor Colin both mention that I had a little health scare about a week and a half ago. I was in the ER with some severe abdominal pain. Uh, Doctors were able to get it under control and I felt good the last week and a half. I've got an appointment with the GI specialist coming up just to make sure that everything's copacetic in there. But I appreciate the prayers and the concern and the love. And I also just going through that whole thing made me so appreciative of being in community, um, being surrounded by people that love you and also by having teammates and colleagues that can carry things for you when you can't carry them by yourself. We're carrying each other's burdens, as Galatians chapter 6 says. And so can we give it up for Colin Stoddard and his leadership in this community that he's just able to step in? We love you, Colin Stoddard. You are a gift. Second thing I got to say is I got some friends here this morning, John and Jolene Specht from Marshfield, Wisconsin. John went, he's in the bathroom. I'm about to tell a funny story about John. John, are you here this morning? John, where are you? Come back, John. Okay, so these guys were part of our church growing up in central Wisconsin. And John, here's my funny John Speck story is that when I was a little kid, John, I'm waiting for you. John, everybody on the count of three, say John real loud. One, two, three. John, there he is. Okay, John Speck, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for John Speck. So, John, when I was real little, like maybe four or five years old, he'd come up to me in church and he'd always call me Sport. He'd go, hey, Sport. And uh, I didn't know what he was saying. I thought he was saying spork, you know, like the thing, the funny thing that they used to give out that you eat with. And that like really offended me, you know. And I would always say to John, I would go, not spork. Andrew Burden aren't. And so, John, you like helped me come into possession of my self-identity, you know, and I really do appreciate that. So John and Jolene spect one more time, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for them. Oh yes, we are in Galatians. I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning, as we have learned. Uh, Galatians, uh, Paul is writing this to a group of his friends in what is modern day Turkey. This is one of the oldest letters in the New Testament. And so what we're seeing here is some of the early threats to early Christianity. And Paul is writing this with a great degree of urgency. Now, as we have gone uh, through Galatians up to this point, uh, Paul has in different ways like kind of alluded to what the problem is that he's trying to confront. But he's not just kind of come out and out and like said what the thing is. This morning in this text, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to see it fully revealed. And we're going to hear Paul is like, Paul at this point is starting to shift into the meat of his argument. Okay. And so we're going to hear three refutations to this erroneous thinking that is taking place among the churches in Galatia. And in so doing, I think that Paul is opening up for us a vision You have the kingdom that we desperately need to hear and to see. And so, Lord, here we are in your presence, grateful. So grateful. We're grateful that Grand Peak Academy has opened up this space to us. We're grateful. And we say bless them, Lord. And we are grateful for the team that you've assembled here that um, has gone out in front of us to make this church possible, this community possible. We're grateful for that. And we're grateful for uh, the gift of being in community with each other. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that we are alive this morning. We are grateful that you have opened our eyes. We are grateful that you have called us by name. We're grateful that you have anchored us in the kingdom of your beloved son. we thank you even more than that, but we thank you that everything that is true about Jesus Christ is true about us. (laughs) His whole life is your yes over our lives. We are beloved sons and daughters of the living God in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're saying thank you for that. And we are asking this morning that you would help us live into the mystery of that and the depths of that, and the joy of that. And we're praying that all of the places in which our lives are not in alignment with the truth of our being in Jesus Christ, that you would draw them into alignment. Teach us to live as the free people that we are, joyfully and full of praise and love and thanksgiving. Grant that, we pray. We say, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law Or by believing, everybody say believing, by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you a spirit and work his miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and this, his belief in God, his trust, his confidence in the promise of God, that was credited to him as righteousness. So understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. As Scripture foresaw that God would just, uh, justify even the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, who was the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law, they're under a curse. As it is written, "Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one, Paul says, who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And the law, he says, isn't based on faith. On the contrary, it says that the person who does these things will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Here now, we begin to see the problem that was circulating among the Gentile churches. Namely that there was a group of people running around saying, hey guys, so listen. Faith in Jesus is great. Confidence in Jesus is wonderful. And all that you've experienced of the Spirit of God, all of that is great. But if you really want to be God's people, if you really want to shore up your relationship with God so that when He appears at the last day, you'll also appear as one of those who is among the elect, one of those who is in the kingdom, you also need to do these extra things. And the extra things in the first century were things related to the Jewish faith, right? Circumcision, Sabbath laws, dietary restrictions. So what are they saying? They're saying faith in Jesus is great and you need to do all of this other stuff in order to be justified before God, in order to find yourself on the right side of history with the Lord. And Paul's refutation of this, I think is a knockdown refutation. And this is where he pulls out the big guns and his refutation proceeds like this. Number one, he says, Galatians, if that is true, let me just point you in the first place to your experience with the Lord, which is what he does in verses one through five. Look down at verse three, if you have your Bibles in front of you. And Paul says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to ta- uh, uh, trying to finish by means of the flesh? Verse five, does God give you a Spirit and work miracles among you? Because you've done all these things, Sabbath laws, dietary restrictions, circumcision, does he give you his spirit and work miracles among you by these works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So his first argument against them is like, would you just look back to the foundation of your experience? How in the first place did you come into an awareness of God? Was it because you were doing all these things right? Was it because you were following the law? Was it because of the Sabbath and the dietary restrictions and circumcision? Was it because you were an upright, wonderful, moral person? Is is that how you first came into this? Paul says, no, think about it. What What happened was somebody showed up to you and they began to explain to you the good news of what God had done in Jesus of Nazareth. And somehow in that moment, something happened that awakened you to the goodness of God. God began to send his spirit and work miracles among you. And you saw signs and wonders and people were healed. All of that happened, not because you were such an amazing person, but it happened because God is nice. (laughs) God is kind. God is good. God pours his spirit out upon you because he loves you. And so now having begun in the kindness of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, You're all of a sudden going to shift the foundation of your faith to all of these things that you perform to make God happy. Why do you think that God was all of a sudden unhappy with you? God loves you. God pours his spirit out on you because of his grace. Look to your experience, he says. Secondly, he says, look to Abraham. Starting in verse 6, Paul writes that so also Abraham himself believed God. Everybody say, believe God. Abraham believed God and this was counted to him as Righteousness. And the reason that this is an interesting argument is because those that are advocating the works of the law, what they're trying to do is they're trying to draw, redraw the circle of who actually are, who's the family of Abraham? Isn't it the people that do all of these things? Isn't it the people that follow all of these regulations and they've got the formula down and they're just doing it just so? Aren't these the real people of Abraham? And do you know what Paul does that's such a genius move here? Is he says, If that's the standard, not even Abraham rises to the standard. (laughs) Because what put Abraham in the right with God is not that he was doing all of these right things before the Lord. What put Abraham in the right with God is that God came to him and gave him a promise. And what did Abraham do? He trusted the promise of God. Before he'd started following God, before he'd started obeying God, before he'd rectified his life in any way whatsoever, Abraham trusts God. God, and what does God do? God goes, there's a righteous guy. The person that puts their faith in me is the person who's counted as righteous, not the person who just happens to do all of the right stuff. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 4 to clarify his remarks here. He actually says, he says that Abraham received God's justifying voice over his life before he actually was given the sign of circumcision, So before any of the good stuff ever came along, before any of the way that we follow the Lord ever came, even into Abraham's life, Abraham was justified by what? By faith, by his confidence in God. Paul says, look to your experience. Look to the father of your faith itself. And then thirdly, he says this. He says, look at the law itself. Look down, back down at verse 10. Paul writes that all who rely on the works of the law, they are under a... Curse, as it is written in the law, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do, to do what? To do, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written. It's like the law itself is saying to you that the standard, if this is what you want to do, the standard is What? It's like complete and total obedience. Whoever in the history of Israel rose to that standard? Nobody ever did. And in fact, the long and tragic history of Israel is the history of even those people who were trying their best to be in the right. They can't quite get it right. And wrath is continually continuing to fall upon them. And so Paul says, don't you remember what the cross is all about? That wrath that was hanging over the head of humanity, that curse that was lingering over humanity, Christ Jesus in his body absorbs the curse that was hanging over humanity so that blessing might be released. Nobody can follow God to the letter of the law and thank God, God knows that. And that wrath that was hanging over our heads, he took it in his body And now there is blessing being released everywhere. Paul is like saying to the Galatians, look, your whole faith is a gift. You came into this because God loved you. He awoke your spirit. He gave you the gift of faith, which puts you in the right with God, just like it did Abraham. And the curse that was over our heads, that has been exhausted. And now blessing is everywhere. And so wait a minute, Galatians. So you're trying to do what now? You're going to try to take this thing that is limitless grace, limitless gift, all freedom, all goodness from God, and you're going to try to make this a matter of human achievement? Why would you do that? But we do it all the time, don't we? We take the grace of God, the goodness of God, and we make it a matter of human achievement. And the moment we do that, guys... That's the moment that we start to pervert our faith. The whole, our whole relationship with God, our whole relationship with each other and our whole sense of our own being in the world. I think that it gets perverted and we do it all the time. I think about, just as an example of this, I think about having, so I'm born and raised in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And one of the things I love about my heritage, my tradition, where I come from is the emphasis on signs and wonders, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, and in particular, healing. And that's such a huge gift. I think that that's actually one of the great gifts that the charismatic movement has given back to the church is the memory that and the practice of the fact that God, when we talk about God, we're not just talking about some being living somewhere up in the clouds, that just kind of expects us to do the right things and believe the right stuff so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's not, maybe this is news to you. That's not the Christian God. The Christian God is the living God. Do you know what that means? That means that he is among us now doing things. (laughs) He's in our midst. Signs and wonders and the miraculous and healing and all of that. And I remember growing up in the church, the 80s and the 90s and watching. Signs and wonders and miracles healing. We celebrated that as we should and lived into that as we should. And one of the things that happened along the way was that people started getting a little bit too smart about how healing happens. They go, oh, okay, well, physical healing, God appears to be a God that gives these things and we need these things. So if we can look at all the evidence and examine it, maybe we can try to figure out what are the patterns of how God normally heals. Oh, it seems like when these conditions are present, God tends to heal a little bit more. It seems like when people believe these things, God tends to move a little bit more. It seems like when people calibrate their spirituality in this way, God tends to break in with healing a little bit more. And all of a sudden you started seeing these teachings and books and conferences and seminars where people started saying things like, here are the four steps to getting your healing. Wait, 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 wait. Is that how it ever works in the scriptures? You ever see that in the gospels? People like, oh, okay, there's Jesus over there. We've heard that he's a magnificent healer. So what are the steps that I have to follow in order to get my healing? Okay, first, I need to confess sin in my life. Then secondly, I need to make sure that I've got the good confession on my lips. And then third, I got to make sure that I do this. And fourth, I got to do And then finally, No. How does it happen in the Gospels? People are in need and they throw themselves at the feet of Jesus and he's just kind enough to do something about it. That's how faith works. And you never see Jesus in the Gospels meeting human need and going, okay, fine, good. I see that you're in trouble there. But um, Can we talk about your relationship with your boyfriend for just a second before I get on to the healing thing? He doesn't ever do that. Can we talk about how you've been treating your husband or your wife over here before we get on to the healing? He doesn't ever do that. Can we talk about for a second how you've not really been very conscientious about following all of the... Can we talk about your tithing for a second? You've been a little bit negligent there. That never happens, does it? People throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He heals them. We do this all the time, guys. And what we do in this is we reduce our relationship with God to a transactional relationship. Well, I do these things and then you do these things. And in so doing, we completely pervert the nature of our relationship with the Lord. Think about about even this is uh, everybody in this room can, I'm sure, relate to this. Think about like I think a a fundamental quest, a fundamental thirst of the human heart is to experience the presence of God. Think about those times in personal prayer and worship where you've experienced the presence of God. It's something, and we believe that God is omnipresent, right? He doesn't just kind of flit into our experience and flit out. But there are times when God opens up our eyes, he opens up our hearts, and somehow he calibrates our own being so that we experience God. Him, And when that happens, that is joy unlike any other. Remember the great St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And when we hit those moments where our spirits are resting in the presence of God, it is satisfaction like no other. But I don't know if you do this, but I do this sometimes. That when I have like a profound experience with God, whether in private prayer or worship or whatever, the next time around I come back into the presence of God, in my devotional time or in worship or whatever... I have this like tendency of mind to think like, okay, so what okay, so like what was the thing I was doing the last time that really helped me experience God, right? How was I, what was I, what was my scripture reading looking like? You know, okay, it was just I was reading at this certain rate of speed, and I was really kind of just like I'd postured my spirit in this very specific way, or like you'd be in worship, you know, and like, well, maybe my hands just aren't lifted high enough. I remember the last time when I really stretched my hands. It's crazy thinking. Do you know what it actually is? When we reduce the experience of the presence of God like that to a formula, it's magical thinking. That God is some being up there who's just kind of waiting over here, and when we do all the things just right then God all of a sudden decides to show up and be... That's crazy thinking, guys. But we do it all the time. Instead of remembering that God just pours out his spirit because he loves us. And we came, we were hungry and we were thirsty for God in our personal prayer time or in worship. And God, just because he's kind, he poured out his goodness upon us. And instead we reduce it to a matter of human achievements. I think about it in my own life some of the disappointments that have accrued in my own life because I thought that God owed me something based on how, who I was and how I was behaving. I'm born and raised in the church, you know, I've said that before. And, and I cannot think of a time in my life when I did not know Jesus and love Jesus and trust Jesus. And one of the things that happens if you grow up like that and you're not careful is that you'll start thinking, and I, you know, I have had some moments in my life where I was a little bit rebellious here and there, but not anything really profound. For the most part, I've just walked with Jesus my whole life. And I did like start kind of harboring in my heart this idea that because I'd known Jesus all my life and been walking with Jesus all of my life for the most part, that yes, you know, there are the like the masses of Christians out there. And of course, theoretically, like we're all equal in the kingdom of God. But Andrew's just a little bit more equal than everybody else. I'm like part of the Jesus Insider Club. You know what I mean? Because I've known you a long time, Jesus, and I've walked with you a long time. And surely at some point, Jesus, like in my life, there's going to be a moment when this whole upright, virtuous, walking with Jesus life that I lived all my life, that before the whole watching world, you're just going to march me out and I'm going to be vindicated in that having walked with Jesusness all of my life type thing but in front of the whole watching world. That's going to happen there's gonna be some moment where I'm vindicated for having been that guy who never really strayed from you. And I remember getting in my 30s, and this is when it really hit me. I remember getting in my 30s, Mandy and I had moved to Denver to help some friends plant a church. And we're two years into that project, three years into that project, four years into that project. And I really did think, you know, that at some point, and it might take a little bit of time for us to like gain ahead of steam with this, but at some point, two years in, three years in, four years in, you know, we'll be like, beating them away from this place. You know, just like the the room will be full and the ministry will be exploding and we'll have to act all humble about it. We don't know what happened, but really, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Four years deep into the project and and people were staying away by the tens of thousands. (laughs) A couple hundred people gathered in a basement and you know where it really got me? is I would go home after service and, and God was moving and it was beautiful. People's lives were being changed. They were finding community. I was genuinely, I was having fun preaching. I remember finding my voice and loving all of that. And, but do you know where I would get really bitter? Is I would come home and I would jump onto Twitter or Facebook or whatever and I would see that there were people out there whose churches were bigger than mine. And not just any old people, would be one thing. If they were people who were like me, followed Jesus their whole life. You know whose churches were bigger than mine? Idiots who had given their life to Jesus five years earlier and planted a church in Texas, and now it's 10,000 people. And I would sit there, I would look at all that, is there no justice in the world? Why, God, are you giving influence to them? Why, God, are you giving platform to them? Why are they getting the books? Why are they getting the conferences? Why is the church growing for them and it's not really growing for me? Is it because you hate me? Is there something wrong with me? Is there some big flaw in my faith? And that right there is the problem. That the moment you reduce your relationship with God to this transactional thing, I do these things for you, and you do these things for me. The moment it doesn't live up to your expectations, what's going to happen? First, you're going to start blaming other people. Oh, well, those people just don't get it. Maybe they just don't see how good of a preacher I really am, but one day they'll figure it out, right? Or maybe what you'll do is you start blaming God. You hate me, don't you? You don't like me. That's really it. Or maybe you'll just start blaming the whole system. This system is rigged. This system is a joke. This system doesn't work. Or maybe, do you know what actually the last step is? You'll just become the despairing accuser of yourself. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe I just don't get it. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm the only one who can't get with the program. And in that place, all of the joy and freedom and, and vitality that the living God offers us in the kingdom of God, it's all lost in that moment. Why? because you perverted your relationship with God. You misunderstood the whole nature of the kingdom of God. Nothing is owed you, nothing. But everything is offered to you. Everything is offered to you. Jesus tells this story that I never cease to be fascinated by and also confronted by, Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarius. That was a day's wages. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he went out and he saw other people standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. and He did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why are you guys standing here all day without doing anything? Because nobody has hired us, they answered. They weren't like trying very hard to get a job, were they? These are the scrubs. And yet Jesus welcomes them in. The master does. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with, what does the text say? The last one hired and going on to the first. And so the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they came and they each received a denarius. And when those came who were hired first, what happened to them? They expected to receive more. And so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. And when each of them also received a denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired to last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? So Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Do you know what the great pity of that story is to me? The joy, of course, and the surprise, of course, and the wonder of it. And why this is such an apt window into the kingdom of God is that everybody gets the same. And we do. We get God. <laughs> what more could you want being called sons and daughters of the living God and being filled with the Spirit than having your whole life renovated by the resurrection power of God than being made heirs of the kingdom of God and called into the new heavens and the new earth. Is there something else you want besides that? It's a window in the kingdom to that extent. But I also think it's a window to the kingdom. And the tragedy of that story is that those folks who were hired first, it turned out that all they wanted was a denarius. And some of us, all we want from God is our marriage to work. All we want from God is that our kids would grow up and be nice, virtuous citizens and all of that. All we want from God is that our dreams would pan out. All we want from God is money. All we want from God is a career. All we want from God are these little tangible deliverables. And do you know what I think that God says to us? If that's all you want, take it and... Meanwhile, there are some who just love the master... They just love the landowner. They just love the vineyard owner enough to stay. And you know what their reward is? That they're gonna harvest and harvest and harvest. And they're gonna take those grapes and they're gonna crush the grapes and they're gonna extract the juice and put them in bottles. And that juice is gonna ferment and it's gonna turn into wine. And they're gonna be recipients of the greatest party that could ever be thrown And they'll get their denarius too and so much more because they refused to reduce their relationship with the master to the denarius. Guys, God has more for you than just these little tangible things that you have hung your hat on and expected God to give you. And I want to say to you this morning, that it might be, some of you, it might be that you are here this morning or this afternoon, I guess now, four minutes after. We'll get to communion in a second, I promise. That it might be that there are some of you that are here this morning and you're dealing with massive disappointment because God has not delivered for you the way that you thought he should have. That you did all the right stuff, you followed the system, you followed the pattern, you followed the formula, and it hasn't worked out for you. And it might be that the best thing that God could ever do for you is frustrate you and disappoint you on that front. So that you're not the person who just takes your denarius and goes. But so that you become the kind of person who walks straight into the kingdom of God with all the riches of his goodness and his mercy. Relationship with him. Guys, that's what it's all about. And so would you stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion? Golly. This is about love. Do you know that? (laughs) This is about love. This is about God's desire to pour His love out on you. Which, by the way, when you receive it, is the deepest that is like the deepest happiness that any human being could ever have. And it's the deepest longing of any human heart to know the love of God. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you here and now. And we repent for the many ways in which we have made something else the point of faith other than you. And we're asking right here, right now, that you would break us of that that you would relax our spirits. (laughs) Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. A family as we're in this space, would you just examine your heart? Where have you made it about something else? Where have you pivoted away from the goodness of God, the grace of God? Where have you reduced your relationship with God to a transaction, something that you do for God and God owes you something? The Lord says to Job, who has a claim against me that I must repay? Nobody does. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And because it belongs to you, it belongs to us too. (laughs) All things are ours, Paul says, and we are of Christ and Christ is of God. But help us remember Help us remember. And so we make this our prayer before you, Lord Jesus, our repentance as we come to the table. We say, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Family, the scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he says further, see what great love the father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And if you can receive that today, would you give God praise as we begin to prepare our hearts for the table? We say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's respond in worship, and then Pastor Colin will lead us to the table.
1: Far did another thing for me.
2: He is all I
3: Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Do that now. Give him thanks and praise. Would you thank him for how he's at work in your life right now? Like we're just saying, with everything, for everything, thank you. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, would you hold the wafer in your hand like this? When he had given thanks, just like we have done this morning, he broke it, would you break the bread? He said, this is my body, which is for you, without transaction, this is a gift. Receive this in remembrance of me. Would you receive his gift? Same way after supper, he, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the mystery of our faith together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again this was not the end for three days in the grave jesus rose again from from the dead a resurrecting god not a god of replacement but a god of resurrection so he can take those things the things that you are experiencing in your life he can redeem them he can help you see him in the midst of them so as you receive this cup, would you be mindful that He is doing that? He's in the midst He's He's in the process of resurrecting this parts of your life. He's in the midst of, of changing your perception of Him. Would you let Him do it? The blood of Christ. Would you receive the cup? Respond in doxology for this wonderful gift of the Lord. Let's sing.
0: Would you lift your hands? Receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you, New Life East family, and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. All the anxiousness, all the striving, all the disappointment, all the frustration. God, would you just wash it out here? Yes. Wash it all out. Would you restore your people this morning to composure of mind? Family, God loves you. And that's not just enough. That is way more than enough. And he is covering, as Colin said. I just had a burden to reiterate. That all the things that you care about in your life that feel disordered. And you're feeling frustration because God's let you down. And he cares about that stuff actually more than you do. You seek first the kingdom. You seek first the righteousness and all these things they'll be added unto you. Grace, mercy and peace be with you. Well, thank you. I receive it, family. I'll invite our ultra ministry team to come forward if you need prayer for anything this morning. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you're new, stop at Connect Central on the way out. And also uh, we'd love to have you join a serve team. So see us at serve. What are we calling it out there? Let's call it Serve Central Sunday. So go see us out there. Jump on a team. It's super fun. You'll find community there. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.